so thankful that you're everything to us. If we let you, you can be everything for us. I praise you for that fact. I praise you for this time of worship. I just pray it was pleasing to you. Your people are ready for your word to be spoken. God, please speak through the pastor and let us hear what you'd have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. We'll begin reading in verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient servant, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw the thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until that thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have a part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And when that thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In numbers, they are like sand on the seashore. They march across the breadth of the earth and and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But the fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we... Forever grateful for your word that is not just some book, not even some religious book, but these are your very words to us, communicating your heart to us. And as we look at this, we open up our lives, we ask that you would speak, that your servants are listening, to hear you not just about what does this mean, or how is this little detail possible, but that we would hear you speak 
of what it means to us today and what you want us to do about it. Who you want us to be in light of it. Transform us. Not by any words that I speak, but by your word and by your word ministered by the Holy Spirit of God. Come down upon us now and move as only you can. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you have ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? See some hands? All right, so you kind of have an idea, a general idea here. You remember how it begins, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's the next part? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Have you ever thought about when you, if you prayed that, or and obviously we call it the Lord's Prayer. Technically, it's the disciples' prayer. Uh, Jesus is giving them a, an, 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 a way, a, a model, a way, not just like this is the only prayer Jesus ever prayed. We see many more. But the, this, this prayer, how many when you have thought about it or even prayed that prayer and said, Thy kingdom come, actually thought about, what you were praying. You know, for some, you would say, well, yeah, I thought about it. Yeah, it, it had more, it, it was more than just words or religious words. When I was praying, my kingdom come, I, I, thy kingdom come, I was praying that uh, spiritually, you know, that your kingdom would come where we're at right now, that your kingdom would come and work spiritually right here, right now. But the reality is we can pray thy kingdom come and it becomes reality. Not just something spiritual, not just something out there, but something that is visible, something that is literal, something that is right here on earth, something that is talked about right here in Revelation chapter 20. That His kingdom comes. Literally, the thousand years that is talked about here in this chapter 20, the millennium reign of Christ will come. As Jesus comes in person, literally on this earth, to set up his rule, to set up his kingdom that has come. So we're praying that. And as we look at Revelation 20 today, at least part one, so to speak, we see that the end times lessons are not just about the end times, but they're for today. There are lessons that we can take in this for today. In fact, really, if we were to summarize in some ways this lesson, we would say we need to realize that Jesus is the answer both now and forever. Jesus is the answer both now and forever. You'll understand more as we go through and look at this. But I I take us back to the Lord's Prayer. Towards the very end of the Lord's Prayer, you might remember, it says, and Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, not just a here and now spiritually, but a then and literally will happen. We pray for something that God intends to do. He intends that his kingdom comes and when it does, we will be delivered 
from evil. We read that here in chapter 20. And there are a couple of different points to look at this morning and just as we begin and we'll move into. But when we think about realizing that Jesus is the answer both now and forever, one of the things that we see here in this passage that we need to grasp is this, is that we must grasp that over Satan, Jesus always wins. Right? And, and we say, well, you know, we know that, but listen, this is what it's teaching here for us to really, really get this because I'm telling you, we've got it up here, but when people start going through problems and start having to deal with things in their life and start being attacked by the enemy, suddenly this does, is a little fuzzy. This, Jesus is the answer, and, and we've got to grasp it over Satan. Jesus always wins. Here's the thing as we look at chapter 20. Hopefully you do have your Bibles because we're going to really uh, look through this chapter as always. If you need a Bible, they're back by the offering boxes in the back of the part of the worship center here. In chapter 20, it begins with a very unusual and yet important word. Now, it's not an unusual word. It's just unusual for it to begin this way. You know what it begins with? And. You know? I'm pretty sure in English grammar, you're not supposed to start a sentence with that. Uh, Just getting you ready for school, kids. Uh, You know, and keeping in mind that our chapter designations are not original. Uh, All our chapter designations and, and even numbers were added later. Meaning that what we have at the end of chapter 19 as the second coming of Christ when he comes down it goes right into chapter 20. And we should not think that there's a separation between chapter 19 and what's happening in chapter 20. Rather, it is an and this happened. So right after, and just look at chapter 19 there, right after it says in verse 19 of chapter 19 of Revelation, then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war on the rider of the horse's army, but the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. And it doesn't stop when they say, okay, we read chapter 19. Oh, tomorrow we'll read chapter 20. No. And I saw, he goes on. Well, as Jesus came down and everything that he was doing, it was also a part of not just finishing that battle and dealing with the beast and dealing, uh, or the Antichrist, and dealing with the false prophet that Jesus won over. Obviously, he wins against them, throwing them once for all into that final place of punishment, the lake of fire. And as he's done that, and as chapter 20 says, now Jesus is going to deal with the third part of the unholy trinity that we've talked about, the one who in verse 2 is clearly put out as the one who is the ancient serpent, who is the devil, Satan. Satan is bound here in verses 1 to 3. Let's look over those again. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. And he seized the dragon 
that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be set free for a short time. He is bound with a great chain. He's thrown into the abyss, a bottomless pit. Note, this is not the final judgment of hell that the beast and the anti or that the antichrist and the false prophet were thrown into. That's not where the devil's going in these verses right here. But you think about what was done to him. Bound chain, thrown into a bottomless pit, and if that wasn't enough, it was shut and locked and sealed over. Just to be clear, there is no possible way that Satan is getting out of this. There is no possible way that he can have any kind of influence over the next thousand years as Christ begins his kingdom. Satan will not have any influence over the world. And while his mission has always been to steal, kill, and destroy... Now that mission comes to an end. Any hold or power that Satan had over this world, Jesus has won, breaking down the gates of hell and destroying the dominion of darkness with he who is the light of the world, the one who is the answer. This means that there will be no demonic activity or influence, no hand of Satan, either in initiating problems or even in interfering with mankind not even a whisper in someone's ear over this thousand years' time. Here's the thing. This has never happened before in our history. What is going to happen has never happened before, even if you go all the way back to the perfect Garden of Eden. Satan was there. He was loose. But he will be bound. Just as Satan was cast out of heaven, so too Satan will be cast off of this earth. And in this, let's catch the message that Jesus has the authority and the power over Satan, not vice versa. Satan is not the equal but opposite of Jesus. That's the way some people look at it. It's kind of like they're, you know, they're always against one another. And no, it's not equal but opposite. Satan is a created being. Jesus is God. Which is why Jesus always wins. In fact, when we think about the power and the authority of Jesus versus the power that Satan has, it's interesting to note that Satan in this passage in verse 1 is bound by who? What's it? What? By an angel, by an unnamed angel. That's right. I saw an angel coming down out of heaven. Uh, he's seen a lot of angels and a lot of things, and we recognize that there are certain higher up, so to speak, angels like Michael and uh, Gabriel. They're not mentioned here. It's not Michael or Gabriel, and they're mentioned when they need to be mentioned. But Jesus has given his authority and his power to a no-name angel who is able to come and chain up Satan. He has the key to be able to lock Satan up on God's behalf. And that is an end times lesson for today. Note, 
this takes place at the beginning of the millennial kingdom here on earth that Jesus just rode down out of heaven to establish. He didn't just come to finish the battle. He came to start something, to start the kingdom, to start the millennium. And we would say that we have a premillennial second coming view uh, that we believe in that Jesus literally comes back to earth before at the start of the millennium. Which, by the way, when we use that word millennium, that's just Latin for a thousand years. And you'll see that used numerous times in this passage that we're looking at right here in Revelation 20. This is where Jesus will personally rule on this earth during these thousand years. And Satan will be bound. So thy kingdom comes here on earth, kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven in a wonderful and miraculous way. We'll talk more about that, of what that kingdom and what the millennium looks like in, in future messages here. But for us to understand the sense that Satan being bound is removing the one who at least brought temptation to sin on that perfect earth life that God had planned in the Garden of Eden. Now, in this new millennium, is a new chance for the second Adam, who is Jesus, to reverse the curse and in some way reflect perhaps what God wanted in the very beginning. When he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden and the perfectness of that relationship and all that was around them, now this kingdom has come, this millennium has been set up, and now literally and personally People will be able to walk with Jesus right there on this earth. This is not heaven yet. We're talking about something that's taking place right on this earth. Note there are some in churches who hold different views about Jesus' second coming than what I described as a premillennial view. They do not believe that there will be a literal 1,000 years in which Jesus will literally, personally, visibly actually come down to earth and rule upon this earth now i know for some of you is like oh, okay yeah, whatever uh and uh, and maybe some are not even really that interested in all this end time stuff even though there's a vast majority of the bible that talks about it in both the old and the new testament i understand you may not but here's the thing we need to realize especially when it comes to different views about the millennium about this thousand year reign of jesus when it comes to those different views of it's not just affecting their end times, the way they look at the end times. It affects the way they look at every other thing and things that you would completely disagree with. You may say, I don't know anything about the millennium. And I don't think it's really that important. But the problem is the way they come at those different views will change the way they come at things that you do have an opinion on. And while we may not break fellowship with them over this, nonetheless, we cannot miss understanding the importance of how it affects other beliefs. And we'll talk more of this in times to come here as it deals with this millennium, but just focusing on this part today. You know, one of the ways that they would support their view that Jesus is not coming back personally, literally, physically, and establishing a physical, literal thousand-year reign is that they believe, number one, it's already happened. It's happened spiritually, including... Satan being bound. 
You see, they would say Satan was bound when Jesus came the first time. Remember the cradle, the cross, the resurrection. But we are saying, I, we, I don't think I see that clearly. When I'm looking at these verses and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key of the abyss and holding his hand a great chain, he seized the dragon who is the devil of Satan who bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, locked, sealed it over him, kept him from deceiving the nations anymore until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free. I'm reading that and thinking, how do you say Satan's already bound? How do you say this is not literally something that's happening? You're just saying it's spiritual. I mean, as we think about this chronologically, what took place? Jesus came down out of heaven. There was the battle. And now he's before he sets up this thousand years, Satan is literally bound and Christ begins. Now, I, I don't know if we're really grasping what they're saying, but if Satan was bound at the first coming, when Jesus first came, in other words, what this is saying, a chain wrapped around him, thrown into a bottomless pit, lid locked and sealed, I mean, even if you want to take that spiritually, that's pretty much a complete, complete finding no influence, because it says, you can take this spiritually or literally, it says he will not, it will be kept from deceiving the nations. If that's what happened at the first coming, then that would mean that Satan has no power and we should have no problem in our current time with him. Which is actually what some of those people would say. But how could Satan be able to come against the world and Christians in the tribulation? We read about that. How does he come against them if he's already been bound for 2,000 years? Well, you know, 2,000 years. They, they, They would argue with that perhaps the response would be you know satan was symbolically put in the abyss you know when jesus rose from the dead now uh, please understand i'm talking about this jesus won the victory over satan at that cross and by his writing yes he defeated satan but in that moment satan was not chained up put into a bottomless pit sealed and the key thrown away kind of thing he is still on attack even though he knows he has lost, he will continue to fight. He will continue to fight and take as many with him as he can until his final last moment. And this is not just based on how we may interpret the experiences and what we're seeing and what we believe or the activities of Satan in our world right now. You know, somebody says, well, that's just your opinion. Yes, it might be my opinion, but I also have things that are based on the word of God. For example, if Satan is bound... Why would God's word tell us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be alert and of sober mind? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If he is locked up, sealed, nothing, he has nothing to do. How in the world is he roaming around? How are we being hunted by the enemy? How is it possible that we can be at war with the devil and his forces as we read in Ephesians 6.12 for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. How are we at war if Satan is bound and cast down? 
And yet, let us keep in mind in all of this, Jesus always wins. We say, yes, Jesus always wins. Like a familiar verse that some in 1 John 4, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, who is the one that is in us, is Jesus. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And we know that's speaking of Satan. Oh, by the way, where does it say he is? Where does it say Satan is? The one who is in the what? In the world. Wait a minute, I thought he was in the pit. No. Right now he is loose. He will be bound. Jesus' victory over Satan is not completely done yet. Which is why we read on down, if you go down to verse 7. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle and the number that are like the sands of the seashore. Satan is loosed after a thousand years and right away he goes right back and he loses the battle again. And more specifically, he doesn't just lose that battle, he loses it once for all. Because we read in verse 9, They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan, this is not just the final battle or the final victory. This is the final judgment of Satan that we're reading about right here. Where he will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Where the beast, the Antichrist and the, and the false prophet already have been thrown. He'll be thrown into that place of eternal, continual, constant judgment. Which, by the way, goes against some opinion today when you start talking about people about, you know, uh, sometimes you say, well, you, you want to go to heaven. You need to go to, don't, don't you want to be in heaven? Well, you know, if I miss out on heaven, if I'm wrong, then, you know, I guess that's just it for me. They think you just cease to exist. That They would call uh, annihilation, so to speak. You just cease to exist, and I'll miss out on heaven. I won't really know anything about it because I missed out on it, so I won't know any different. I just will cease to exist. Nothing, it won't be anymore. But that's not true. Because when these bodies die, we live on. The question is whether, where we live. Whether heaven or hell. Hell where we will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's what it says here in verse 10. Where he was sown, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is not just Satan is bound, but rather he's put down forever. There are no more chances, no more choices. This is the end for him, and it will be the end for others in a very similar way that will be sent to that place of eternal separation from God, from all that is good, where the long-suffering of God ends and the justice of God begins for all eternity. We know how the story ends because we've read the end of the book. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. But it doesn't just have application to that time. Someday, when the millennium happens and after the thousand years that Jesus wins, Jesus always wins. 
He won yesterday at the cross. He wins tomorrow at the millennium. And he wins today. We know that God has all power and all authority over Satan. It's not just someday that God will finally get Satan. Like somehow Satan has the advantage now. But just wait. Eventually the tide will turn and and God will be able to. No. Jesus always wins. He doesn't have anything close. The devil doesn't have anything close compared to God. And so it's not just in our, in, in that day, someday it is in our day today. We can have in a limited way in our lives the authority and the power over the enemy because of Christ's victory. Jesus always wins. Not just is it going to happen against Satan in that day that we're reading here, but it has always been that way. We read in James chapter 4, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, if the devil had all power and, and could really take us out, then how is it possible that we have this? Listen, we can resist the devil. Submitting ourselves to God, resist the devil and he will flee. There are other places like 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10. Actually, I think this is 2 Corinthians. I, I put that up there, but I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We have power and authority because of Jesus over the enemy. We have that in many ways because we read in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, talking about what Jesus did. It says that in having disarmed the powers and authorities, and that's the words used that we just saw in Ephesians 6, in other words, the powers and authorities of, of Satan, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Satan still is out there. Satan still is the battle. But against those who are on Christ's side, the one who always wins. The enemy has been disarmed. In some ways, I think about this victory that we have over Satan that has been made available to us today. We, we recognize what we just read in Revelation 20, uh, uh, that final and that complete victory, and that God really just has complete... I mean, Satan has no choice, no chance... So too today, for us to recognize the power and the authority that is available to us because it's not just then, God wins now. I think about that unnamed angel who certainly did not in and of himself have power over the greatest of angels, Satan. You know that? Satan, the greatest of angels. This unnamed angel wasn't like he was greater, like he was more powerful, like he has somehow. But this unnamed angel, can you even imagine Satan thinking about, hey, man, you're going to mess with this. How cool, you know, how, how cool he might and powerful he might think he is. And along comes this guy that, yeah, I've never seen you before. Along comes this angel and he takes him, wraps him up with a chain, throws him down into the pit. Like, what? Yeah, that just happened. This unnamed angel and his self 
had no power, but he was given power. He was given the keys. He was given the authority from Jesus because of who Jesus is and because of that angel's connection to Jesus. He had authority to bind the enemy. And it reminds me of what we are given. When we think about the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 22, and his incomparable great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, again, we're using those power and dominion and every name that is evoked, not only in this present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things, we're talking about Jesus, and, uh, we're talking about what God placed all things under his, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. All right, as you're looking at this, wow, it's really big up there. All right? So hopefully you get the big words, the big concept right here. What's it saying? It's saying what we already know. Jesus always wins. Why does Jesus always win? Because Jesus is over everything, everyone, not just in this world, but in the spiritual places and the, and the uh, places of darkness and dominion that Satan has and Satan himself. God has placed all under Jesus' feet. He is above all. He has authority over all. He has power over all. Jesus always wins. But here's the thing that we need to grasp as uh, so-called unnamed Christians. You know, we're not angels, but unnamed Christians. Here's what we need to grasp is in just a few verses later in chapter 2 of this same And I kind of abbreviated it for you up there in this same passage. So it says in Ephesians 2, 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know if it's clicked yet. Have you seen it? But where are we? God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. Where is Christ seated based on the context of Ephesians Where this is, where is Christ seated? You see that right up at the top in verse 20. He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand far above. Where is Christ seated? Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, every name that is invoked. In verse 22, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head. Where is Jesus seated? Above everything. Where does verse 6 in that context of Ephesians say we are seated? With Jesus. Which means, where are we? We are seated with Him. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Because we got the seat next to Jesus. Because of our relationship with Him. We are seated in a place where Jesus is, everything is under Jesus' feet, therefore everything is under our feet. Everything. Not anything to do with us, but because of our relationship with Jesus and because we're seated right next to Him, we have authority. We have power over the enemy, Satan. Not anything of ourselves as unnamed Christians any more than the unnamed angel. 
but because of what Jesus gives to us. We, with Jesus, have authority over the evil one. It is clear in Revelation chapter 20 that Satan's time is limited. But what sometimes for some reason in our day and age is not clear is that Satan's power is limited even now. And that Jesus always wins. That doesn't mean that there won't be battles until that day when the war is actually over. But we can have victory. We can bind the strong man until that time in in situations around us. In the name, in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus wins in our life. Right here and now we don't have to wait. Until that day where Jesus finally puts Satan away. Now here's the thing. There's more. There's a second point yet to this. But we're going to stop right here. Um. I ask the worship team to come. We're going to stop right here because there's a sense, uh, uh, even last night, late, last, well, early in the morning, uh, the guy just says, you know what? Just want you to stop right there and for us to spend some time praying. Now, obviously we can each pray in our different places, but that's not really the point. We want to recognize that Jesus always wins. And that there are those who are going through battles right now. Some of you may even believe that you're going through battles with Satan or his forces in some way. Whether it's something that is, is in your head, in your heart, physically, in your body. It may not be that he's directly because we don't want to give Satan more credit than he deserves for things. But let's face it, when we face certain things that even we brought on ourselves, sometimes he likes to jump on that and just ride along. And make things even worse. So today we want to pray for you. We want to. And I know there are many within our midst. That have no difficulty in, in stepping up. And praying prayers of authority. In Jesus name. To take the victory that we have in Jesus. And apply it to our lives right now. So I want you to think. If that's where you're at. It may be other things that you would need prayer for, but there's just that struggle. There is that that thing. And and so many today are struggling with peace. So many are struggling with an an anxiousness. And and sometimes even I don't know where to put it. I don't know how, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know, I, I can't put my finger on one thing that's making me feel this way. That's causing me trouble right now. Perhaps it's a spiritual thing. If perhaps it's a spiritual battle that's going on. And we want to join you in that battle and to lift you up and for you to recognize that you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies and just as all things are under His feet, so all things are under yours. In the name of Jesus, Jesus wins always. So, worship team is going to lead us in some songs here and just ask that you would stand if that if you know that you need prayer in this and, and here's one of those things I know sometimes well, uh, 
you know, I, I can pray. How's that going for you? Or, you know, I'll, you know, maybe pray with somebody later. This is the moment that I believe God wants to do something. You know, I'm stopping at this point, not going on. So I believe God wants to do something in our lives. So just as we sing this, uh, I know oftentimes in worship we're all standing, but I like this just to remain seated as we sing. Unless this is just, you know, you want prayer, you need prayer. And then those of us who can and, and are comfortable praying would just go to that person and just can pray with you about whatever that might be. Father, I pray that you would help us to not just be informed, but be transformed this day to recognize that you have given us the victory, your victory to us, and that we need to walk in that. And in some ways, some of us are not. Some of us may not even be realizing that it's a spiritual battle. Uh, we recognize the, the things going on in our life, but we haven't recognized that Satan has his hand in this as well. And for some, we know that, but we're just so defeated that we have not really found the ability to pray and to win on our own. Lord, we just want to join with those here today and see you move in a mighty way. Help us now, in Jesus' name. Oh 
how great you are in your provision for this day. Lord, we come thankful for the victory that the Lord Jesus Christ has won for us on the cross and through his resurrection. And we are thankful that we are seated with the Lord Jesus in the heavenlies. And we take our place with him now in the heavenlies, recognizing by faith that all wicked spirits and Satan himself are under our feet. We declare that Satan and his wicked spirits are subject to the name of the Lord of Jesus Christ. And we are thankful for the armor that you have provided. We recognize that today, even as we prayed, that sometimes that battle is strong and just praying one time is not all that it takes, but a continual battle and prayer. But to do that, we need to be armored up. We thank you for the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of peace, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. And we take up the sword of the Spirit and use your word against all the forces of evil in our life. Let us walk out of here, not just in victory, but with not just with victory, but in victory that each day, each day, in complete dependence upon you, putting on the armor of God, taking up that sword and fighting. And if we're not sure of what, that we would get into your word, that we'd seek help with others, of those parts of your word of God that speak to our situation. We are grateful that Jesus Christ spoiled all the principalities and powers and made a show of them openly and triumphed over them in himself. We claim all that victory for our lives today. We reject any insinuation, accusation, any temptations of Satan. And we affirm that the word of God is true and I choose to live and we choose to live today in light of God's word. We choose, Heavenly Father, to live in obedience to you and fellowship with yourself. Open our eyes. Show us the areas of our life that do not please you, where we have given Satan a foothold for that to stop. Work in cleansing us and cleansing all ground that Satan would gain that foothold. And we stand into all that it means to be your child. And we welcome the ministry of the Holy Spirit. By faith and dependence upon you, we put off that old man and stand in the victory. We put on the new man and stand into all that victory of the resurrection, the provision made. Lord, help us in every way to stand in the victory, and not only of the crucifixion, but of the resurrection, of the ascension and the glorification of Jesus Christ, where all principalities and powers were made subject to him. We claim our place victorious over all. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to truly mean this. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to completely surrender ourselves to you, Heavenly Father, as living sacrifices. No longer conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. Show us your will. Enable us to walk in the fullness of that today. 
strengthen and enlighten us. Show us the way that Satan is hindering and tempting and lying and distorting the truth. Enable us to be the kind of person that pleases you. But also enable us to be aggressive in prayer and faith. Recognizing Jesus, you always win. Help us in our mind and our heart to live from that rightful place with you. And so we cover ourselves with the blood of Jesus Christ and pray to you, pray to you blessed Holy Spirit, would bring all of your work, Jesus, into our lives today. We surrender to you. We refuse to be discouraged. You are the God of all hope. You have proven your power by resurrecting Jesus Christ from the dead, and we claim in every way this victory over Satan's forces in our lives. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. As we walk out of here this day, may we walk not just with the victory, but in that victory. That does not mean that we will not be attacked. That does not mean that there will not be times where things will happen. If for some reason we didn't get to you or you didn't stand and you want somebody to pray, hang around after. There'll be some people that can pray with you. As well, uh, right here on the front set of chairs over on this side, I have a, a warfare prayer, if you will, an example that you can pray through. Uh, make your own, but to pray through that I've given a number of people within our congregation who have found it very helpful in their lives. In fact, that's part of what I was reading through when we were just when I was just praying there. It wasn't all something just me. Uh, obviously, we believe as the Holy Spirit inspired this, but it is just uh, an example. And if that's something that you need or would like, uh, it's sitting right there for you to come and get. So now. May the Lord Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, who lives in you, live through you in a mighty and powerful way, not just that you might be blessed, but that you might be a blessing to all that you run into, including those that are even under Satan's bondage. May we go forth help to set the captives free in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, 